The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Throughout fall and now moving into late fall, we've been, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, but not straight through. We've been looking at pericopes or texts or lessons that really match the theme of the day. And so this morning we come to a lesson that, that ends the book of Ecclesiastes. And you'll see in just a minute why that it had to be this text for this last Judgment Sunday. And this is what Solomon gives us. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And you can follow along there on page 10. And if you're at home on Zoom or on Facebook Live, pull out your Bibles. Um, to be able to follow along. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and he wrote what was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, they're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. There is a scene in a book written by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. And in this scene... There's a scholar, a great man according to the academy, and he is standing on the precipice. He is standing there before the throne of God, and he is being invited in to spend all eternity with God. Someone said to him that he could enter heaven only under these conditions. They said, there's no scope for your talents, only forgiveness for having perverted them. No atmosphere of inquiry, for I will bring you into a land not of questions, but answers. And you shall see the face of God. So here's a man who's in love with searching and inquiry and debate. A man who had questioned the very existence of heaven and hell. And he's being invited into that one final truth that by God's grace, heaven's doors are wide open. And this is our response. Ah, but we must interpret those beautiful words in our own way. For me, there is no such thing as a final answer. The free wind of inquiry must always continue to blow through the mind, must it not? And the conversation continued like that until the, the man begged 
apologies. And he himself scurried off, C.S. Lewis says, to his discussion group in hell. And with that passage, C.S. Lewis brings all the debate, all the wondering if there's heaven or hell or if they exist at all, to a screeching halt. There is judgment. And there is heaven and hell. Solomon says the same thing. He really does. I mean, he, he spends, and we've seen it together, much of it, that the teacher, Kohelet, the preacher, Solomon, whoever you want to call him, he, he, he searches and he asks questions. He wonders out loud if there's eternity. And in the one hand, he seems to believe it. On the other hand, he thinks that people are like cattle. But when it comes right down to it, when he gets to the very end of his book, all of it comes to a screeching halt. God will bring, he says, everything into judgment. And then we're left to sit with that bare truth. No amen, no other words. We're just called by this inspired word of God to sit with the bare truth that in the end, everything hangs into the balance. Our very eternity, and God the judge will come, and He will, He who has seen it all, bring it into judgment. See, God is no universalist. And neither is Solomon. Solomon doesn't have this pushover for a God who thinks that everyone who has disobeyed God's word, everyone who has no faith in him, will suddenly, all of a sudden, want to be with God for all eternity. Solomon is no universalist. He has no pushover for a God. And I could bring this truth to you in, in so many different ways. I could point out to you that this is one of the most basic and fundamental truths of the Christian faith. People say it of every denomination, of, of every church body that is truly Christian. They say it in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. We're going to say it in just a few minutes. That God will come to judge, and you can finish the sentence, the living and the dead. Basic Christian truth. Or I could bring it to you this way. I could bring it to you liturgically. This is Last Judgment Sunday. Our hymns, our singing, our prayers, the lesson. Look at what Jesus said in the Gospel lesson. This is John 5, verse 22. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Or we heard the writer of the Hebrews say it bluntly and flatly. People are destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. I could go through it like that, or, or I could bring it to you like Kohelet does, like the preacher does. In fact, of all the writers in Scripture, Solomon gives the clearest teaching here of the extent of the judgment. The extent of it. It is wide and high and broad and deep. I mean, look, look at just single out words there. If we could just slow down for a minute. He says this. God will bring every deed. That's a wide judgment. 
big ones, small ones, medium ones, hairs that fall to the ground, cups of water, sparrows. All of these things matter to God. Every single one. God will bring every deed into the judgment, but it's more extensive than that. He says, especially the hidden things. The hidden things. The things that you would want nobody to know about you. The things that if they came into the public eye, you would be so embarrassed. The things that you've even hidden from yourself. God will bring them into judgment. Every deed, secret or public, Good or bad. This is the extent of God's judgment. This is, this is what Solomon is saying. Now, I, I suppose I could bring this to you in, in many different ways, but I, what, what does this mean? What does it mean for us in this moment? I can tell you this, what it means for me. It means that God will judge this preacher. He really will. It means that God will judge the motives of my heart. He will judge whether I did a good job or a bad job on this sermon. He, he, he will judge whether I delivered it with joy or with gladness or whether it was Christ-centered. He will judge this preacher. But you know what it also means then for you? It means that he'll judge you for how you hear the sermon. How about that? Congregations, they always want preachers who come with power and relevance and with the Word of God. This is what they want. They want powerful preaching. You know what preachers want? Good listeners. God will judge you for how you listen to the sermon, the motives of your heart, whether you sleep through it or whether you don't sleep through it, whether you apply it in your heart, whether you hear it and you just reject it, or whether you receive it and put it into practice. God will judge it. In fact, he'll judge everything that we're doing here today. He's going to judge how we pray or not pray. He's going to judge how we attended this service or whether we didn't. He's going to judge how much you put in the offering plate or whether you put nothing at all. Or we could go through the commandments. He'll judge whether you fear, love, and trusted God. He will judge whether you are a fornicator or an adulterer. He'll judge whether you're a robber or not. He'll judge you how you honored your parents or didn't. He'll, he'll, he'll judge you whether you gossiped or didn't. He'll judge you for your greedy heart or your envy of others. Do I need to go on? This is the extent of the judgment. Now, I suppose that maybe all of us need to be sitting here right now and saying to ourselves, well, who then could survive such scrutiny? Who, who could survive God's, God's glare on that day? And I can tell you this, I have no hope at all for those of you who intend to go to the judgment without Christ our Lord. No hope for you. But for us, for us who go with faith in that one sacrifice of Jesus, I have the greatest hope of all. 
No, I could, I could go fully Pauline on you this morning and, and, or, or Johanna 9, and I, I could bring to you that the fact that through the blood of Christ, it cries out to heaven, forgive them, Father. But I want to bring it to you like Solomon does. You see, Solomon here, for the first time in his book, he doesn't have a God who's far away. Not at all. In fact, throughout the whole book, we call him creator. As if, almost as if that God is far away and we're down here or really far away from him. But for the first time in the book, God gets a new name. He calls him a shepherd. And a shepherd, in order to tend the sheep and even go them, that's how Solomon kind of put pictures it, needs to be near the sheep. Look at verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. God is near to us. He became so near, actually, the one shepherd that He took on flesh, that He lived perfectly in our place, and He did what any truly good shepherd would do, and He laid down His life for the sheep. And he satisfied God's wrath. And now, as Jesus said in the Gospel lesson, God's wrath for all those who put their faith in this one shepherd, God's wrath has already passed over because Jesus has been judged in our place. You know the extent of that forgiveness then? It's even deeper and wider and more broad than the judgment. Because where sin increases, grace increases all the more, but only in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so now in a very real way, now in a very real way, we live after the conclusion of the matter. And you know what the matter is? Judgment for our sins. We live after the conclusion of the matter. And, and maybe the question remains then, well, what do I do now after the judgment? Three things, and none of them should surprise you. Faith, hope, and love. This is what we do after the judgment has been passed over in Christ our Lord. Faith, hope, and love. First of all, faith in this. In this that the, we have enough faith to say the judgment truly has passed over I am forgiven in Christ. But more than that, there are some of you here today, sadly, who have been dehumanized, who have been taken advantage of, who have been stolen from, who have been abused. And I want you to know, without a doubt, that God will judge those people. You see, judgment day for the unbeliever is condemnation, but for believer, do you know what it is? It's a different word. Vindication. Vindication. To see that, that it's not that God missed what was going on in your life. The people who sinned against you, He, he didn't. He was just patient with them. But one day that judgment will come. So faith, faith in those two senses. Secondly, hope. Do you realize that as Christian people, 
We have the greatest hope in the world that God, who has set eternity in our hearts, as the teacher says, has gifted to each of us in His Son eternity. That is the greatest hope in the world. Now, as mortal people, this, this is the hardest thing in the world for us to understand, but the poets try to, try to capture what eternity is going to be. Here's what one poet said. Think of a ball of steel as large as the world. This is a big ball of steel. And a fly alighting on it every million years. So it's a little fly. When the ball of steel is rubbed away by the friction, so like the fly legs, okay, eternity will not even have begun. That's eternity. Here's another one. Imagine a mountain three miles wide. That's a big mountain. Three miles high and three miles long. So it's a square. Every hundred years, a bird flies over the mountain holding a silk scarf in its beak. So it's not going to damage the mountains much, is it? Which it brushes across the surface of the mountain. The time it takes for the scarf to wear down the mountain is eternity. Doesn't that blow your mind? For us mortal people, we, we can hardly even begin to grasp the gift that God has given us in Christ our Lord, eternity itself. But that is what is waiting for us on the other side of the judgment. So faith, hope, and then the last one is love. Here's love. And I'm going to give it to you really quick. Solomon says this. This is verse 13. So it comes down to this. Living after the judgment, he says, fear God and keep his commandments. This is another way of saying love. This is another way of saying love. So Luther said in his explanation of the first commandment, fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We have every reason to trust him. He's given us full and free redemption, Christ our Lord. Love God. Jesus said, love God with your whole heart, your whole mind, and all of your strength, and everything that you do. Love God. But also, Jesus said, some of the commandments are love. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, this is how we live after the judgment. Faith, hope, and love. Amen.